0: Good morning, everybody. In case you don't know me, my name's David. I work for an organisation called CMS, Church Missionary Society. If you don't know what CMS does, we send missionaries to uh, all over the world. Uh, there are a few of these magazines in the hallway. I'd love you to take one and chat to me afterwards if you'd like to find out more. Cain and Abel. Kane, spelt K-A-N-E is a Geoffrey Archer novel from 1979. Anyone read it? You're better people than me. I haven't read it. But I can Google. Um, and so the majority of people like me seem not to have read it. So it's, uh, it's about two men born on exactly the same date, uh, 18th of April, 1906, uh, in different parts of the world. So Cain... He's a, he's a wealthy US citizen and um, very, yeah, from an elite family. And Abel is from Poland. He's born in absolute poverty. But he migrates to the US and uh, he's determined to reach the level of the elite. And as time progresses, their lives intersect and they become obsessed with destroying each other. So, one of the websites, in summarizing the the novel, says this is, th- this is a story that deeply interrogates the complexity and ambiguity of human motivation, deception, and reconciliation. But the successful marriage of their children and their shared na- their shared stake in their grandson 's name symbolizes archard 's optimism about human- humankind 's innate capacity for good despite In an increasingly unstable world. Let's Cain and Abel. Well, how would you uh, frame the story that's just been read from Genesis chapter 4? Cain and Abel, C-A-I-N. We're going to be thinking about that now, and uh, we'll just ask for God's help. So pray with me. Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word and the privilege of gathering together and thinking about it and we do pray that you would impact us in some way uh, through it and through the power of your spirit we pray in jesus name amen so uh, genesis chapter four in case you've got a bible close to you it's on page three in your bible You might want to look at a couple of things that I refer to. We're told that Cain knew his wife, and um, in other words, they made love, and they have a child. And we're told that Eve says, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. It sounds pretty positive, uh, and it sounds like she's learned from A huge mistake that's been made in Genesis chapter 3. If you haven't been at church, this is a, a, a sermon series on Genesis. So, been looking at Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 3, we saw how Adam and Eve rebelled against God, turned their backs on God, and failed to trust him and disobeyed him. A terrible mistake. But here she seems to be saying, well... I have done something, I've produced a person, I am going to bring about the blessing that you promised to the world through this person, just like you created a man, I've created a man. That's what some of the scholars reckon from the nuance of what she's saying. And if they are correct, it would actually be very consistent with some things that reoccur in the Bible, because... uh, We, as humans, repeatedly try to, we we seem to have this uh, tendency to want to acquire God's blessing through our efforts. And Eve seems a little bit like that. She's brought forth a person, and through that person, the world's going to be blessed. Well, she has another son called Abel, and then you might be a little bit more familiar with the story of the two brothers. And there's a lot in this account, and we only have time to reflect on a few things. Cain is a, a farmer, a grower. Abel is a grazier, a shepherd. And they bring some offerings to God. They're worshiping God. That's a good thing because even though they've been driven out of the uh, the Garden of Eden, they still uh, are engaging with God, and it seems he wants to engage with them. But, as we've, as we've heard, uh, The Bible says the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. That's verse 5. In other words, Cain's offering is not accepted. Abel's offering is accepted. Uh, I still have in my mind a picture from an old children's Bible that was in our house. Uh, And and there's there's an altar and there's smoke going up and there's there's Abel sitting there worshipping God and then there's another altar and the smoke's kind of going sideways sideways. And then um, Cain is scowling at Abel. And it always puzzled me. Why is Cain's offering not accepted? Is it because Abel brings an animal and Cain just brings some fruit? Or maybe there's a clue here. We're told um, Abel, verse 4, brought some of the firstlings of his flock They're fat portions. And verse 3 says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Cain brought some stuff, but Abel brought some of the best things. Uh, I think what we're being shown is that Abel's heart is right before God and Cain's is not. Uh, in fact, what they're doing is they're both doing a, an outwardly, outwardly religious thing. They're both worshipping God, but they've got different motives, different hearts. Only inwardly is Abel worshipping God. Cain is simply keeping up appearances, making himself look good to others, maybe even to himself. Well, how do we know for sure? Well, we know for sure because of his reaction, because of reaction, after God rebukes him, uh, God says to him, "If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, this is in verse seven: sin is lurking at your door; its desire is for you, but you must master it. Well, how do we know that cain 's heart is not right? Well, we can see that uh, He's angry in verse 5, and he's, he's, it says his face is downcast. He's grumpy looking. But secondly, he actually ignores God's command to change, to change his ways. And then as the story unfolds, we see his disproportionate actions. It's so easy for us as Christians to... Uh, do the right thing or to do what is seen to be the right thing our presence here is an act of worship our praying is an act of worship or attending some event some of the stuff that emma announced earlier my preaching is an act of worship and god willing many of these expressions of our of of worship are an expression of a sincere desire to engage with god but they might also be sometimes an expression of insincerity. Um, how often do I find myself myself, uh, <laughs> mouthing the words of a song, but not actually engaging with what I'm singing? Or maybe going to church as a box-ticking exercise, not actually wanting to stay, chat to people, or even be present. I don't know if you slip up like me. Maybe even you find yourself, you've just been to church, and then you really go and blow it in, by something you say in your family context or at work. Does this mean our hearts are insincere? Well, not necessarily. Uh, you remember what God says to Cain? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? This is not outright rejection. In other words, God is saying to him, of course you're going to be accepted if you amend your ways. So the way to test our sincerity is, how do we respond when we realize what we're doing? Uh, When... Our, our sin becomes clear to us through what maybe God says in his word or through what somebody says or, or even through our conscience. How do we react? If you do well, will you not be accepted? What God wants us to do is acknowledge our sin to him and change direction. And that's what we'll be doing in, before we um, participate in the Lord's Supper. We'll be acknowledging our sins to God. So I encourage you to engage with that prayer of confession that we'll say later. So sin is lurking at the door of Cain, but he must master it. It may be very difficult for Cain. He may have to do some hard soul-searching. He might do some have to do a lot of praying. It might take years, but he must do it. If you are anything like me, you will know that resisting sin can be really, really hard. There can be habitual patterns that we fall into that only through prayer and uh, and through accountability. And with solid strategies that we can that we can break uh, those habits, but God promises if you do well, will you not be accepted but cain doesn 't respond; he does not master his sin, instead, what he does is he slides into an abyss of violence, disproportionate violence, a little bit like the road rage you can imagine or you might have heard of. Uh, where, where, where someone does uh, a bit of a rude or thoughtless thing in the traffic and the person who's been offended in their four-by-four four youth, youth chases them down and, 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 and takes out a gun and shoots them. But that's the power of sin, and that's what sin does, and that's what sin results in, um, in, in, in how it desires to master us. But it's not only about... Um, crazy drivers or drug addicts or murderers or vandals or criminals, uh, the same sin can lurk at our door, can be lurking in our door even now as maybe we feel hard done by or bitter, maybe in a family context or in a work context where we might be imagining some kind of psyche response or retort that we're going to give somebody. Um, And sin can nevertheless be very damaging. And it's very confronting how quickly the effects of sin escalate in the world. In chapter 3, what we had was Adam and Eve failing to listen to God, failing to trust his word, failing to acknowledge him as God. And their relationship with him is broken and they get thrown out of the garden. In the second generation, with their kids, they are killing each other. And people have been killing each other since that day. That's the disproportionate effect and damage of sin. Aren't you amazed when you turn on the news and how you see nations waging, waging war and launching missiles at one another, taking lives, uh, families are counted for nothing, people are tortured, just to make a political point, or prop up a certain ideology. And there are 27 wars being waged in the world at the moment. But how many wars are being waged in the workplace or in the family space? So clearly the one who was promised to Eve who would come and destroy the snake, the one who had brought evil into the world, that person is not going to come through Cain. But this story is uh, also is not only about the, the effect of sin and people killing each other. There's even more. Uh, one of the organizations that I support and, uh, and engage with is this organization, Barnabas Fund. Uh, it raises funds to support persecuted believers around the world. And the lead article in this edition of their magazine is called How Long? The Blood of the Martyrs Through the Centuries. And it's a, it's a survey of the persecution of Christians from the time of uh, the Roman Empire, just after Jesus, through to today. But, of course, the persecution of God's people started way before the Roman uh, Empire, The prophets were persecuted. Uh, King David was persecuted. Moses was persecuted. Way back to here, to Abel. Abel was one of God's children. And he was uh, oppressed and persecuted and killed for doing the right thing. As Paul writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. And it's so evident in the... Uh, The ministry of uh, CMS, where we have missionaries in secure locations. They are secure locations because if it was found out what they were doing, there would be trouble. So Sam and Penny are CMS missionaries like that. They're planting a church for local believers in the Middle East. And amazingly, a little group has been gathering in their house for almost a year. Praise God. But it's a headache for us. Because this group is growing. Oh, no. And what that means is we have to uh, figure out or we have to raise funds to get a bigger house for Sam and Penny. And that's going to cost more. And all of this is because believers in that location, well... Firstly, people aren't allowed to become believers. And, and, and certainly they wouldn't be allowed to meet together in a building like we're doing, a church. So it all has to be cloak and dagger stuff, very uh, secret. Apparently one of the believers in this group uh, has a wife who's not a believer. And she's currently blackmailing her husband for piles of money. Uh, and uh, threatening to disclose publicly that he's a believer if, she do, if he doesn't give her what she wants. So this is the further disproportionate effect of sin, destroying human lives and especially uh, making it difficult for those who belong to God. All here in this story in Genesis chapter 4. So how does God respond? Well, firstly, he responds very swiftly and very Justly. As in Genesis chapter 3, where he says to Adam, Where are you? Here he says to Cain, He says, Where is your brother Abel? Okay, it says, Well, I don't know. Am I his keeper? Ambivalent disregard for his own family. But God knows. He's seen everything, and he pronounces judgment. He he says that work is going to be even harder for Cain than it is for Adam, and Cain will be banished from society. And what does Cain say? My punishment is greater than I can bear. bear. Today you've driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I'll be a fugitive fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and anyone who meets me may may kill me. He's kind of saying he knows that uh, he deserves a death sentence and that's what God is giving him. Um, And I used to think this was a a self-pitying whinge from, from Cain. But apparently, if we read this carefully, um, there is a nuance here that he's expressing not only remorse and possibly regret, but maybe even repentance. He's acknowledging that he's done wrong. Um, And amazingly, God shows kindness to him. God says in verse 15, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. In other words, God's saying, no, hang on. Um, I know that humanity can go berserk at this point, but I'm not going to let it. There are going to be controls on the effects of sin. So God is showing grace by um, halting the, the, the potentially, potentially catastrophic uh, effect that sin can bring into the world. And he preserves Cain. And Cain is able to have a family. Uh, and through that family, good things come into the world. If you, if you, if you look down from verse 17 and, and, and read about all the, the descendants of Cain, you see that there are good things that come about. There are, um, there's, there's culture, there's civilization, there's technology. Um, all of these things that make our lives tolerable and even good are coming about through um, the family of Cain. And we're not sure that he's uh, actually repented from the heart, but God is uh, sustaining civilization. God is showing grace despite judgment. And there's even more to this grace, which, which was new to me. Just think about this person called Lamech. Verse 19 tells us he's got two wives. And uh, we're seeing there that already... Uh, women are being objectivized. But if we read about this little thing that happens uh, with Lamech, verse 23 and 24, Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, 77fold. I always used to think he had uh, delusions of, of grandeur and his own self-importance. But I, I've learned that what he's doing here is he's appealing to a, a, a system of, of justice. I don't know if you noticed that he didn't murder somebody or in, this person in cold blood like, like Cain did. What he's doing was what we might call manslaughter. He killed somebody in self-defense, and it might be hard for us to get our heads around what it, what it is to live in a society without government and without legal uh, processes. But as i said before, it, it would be easy to uh, imagine how society would be crazy, how there'd be indiscriminate uh, revenge killings back and forth. One of the things that makes our lives tolerable in the world where so many people uh, are sinful and even ourselves, we, we commit acts of sin is the fact that our sin is controlled by a, a law and government and that wrongdoing is controlled by a transparent due process. That is also a manifestation of the kindness of God, how how beneficial it is it is for us that God is so gracious to us that we can actually live normal lives. Again, I reflected on this in the, um, the, the latest letter of uh, another missionary family uh, from CMS, Derek and Susan. Uh, a couple of months ago in their country, there was uh, a whole lot of rioting because the pages of a certain holy book had been allegedly uh, insulted, possibly burned. And um, this rioting and and, and the arrests that followed was was to um, bring these uh, alleged blasphemers to justice, these Christians that had been framed. And... um, Often that happens in this particular country and if by some miracle they find themselves not being uh, given the death sentence or or, or or not actually executed, it's often after years of, of, of being in prison or on death row and having their children grow up, become adults in poverty. It's not a good place. Um, a, a transparent... Uh, legal system is a great blessing of God and it's a great display of his kindness to us. So there's a lot of grace in Genesis chapter 4 and especially as we circle back to Eve right at the end. We're told that Adam knew his wife again and she his a son and named him Seth. For she said, God, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel because... Cain killed him. Remember at the beginning how uh, it was suggested that uh, she was saying she had done something. The nuance here is changing. She's saying God has given me something, not I have done something. And, And the son she has given me is to replace Abel, the second born. Now, if you know anything about second-borns in the Bible, um, you know how first-born sons often equate to our efforts and the natural order of things, human effort, but second-born sons or worldly nothings often equate to God's work and God's promises and God's grace. So what's happening here is that the second-born, or Abel, has been replaced By a third born. And God is. Going to bring his blessing. That he promised in Genesis chapter 3. Into the world. By his effort. By his work. Not human effort. We're told in uh, verse 26. To Seth. Also a son was born. And he named him Enosh. And at that time people began to invoke. The name of the Lord. So in this. Civilization that is growing and developing from Adam and Eve, a civilization that has many good things, that has legal controls. Within that civilization, there is a community of believers, even a community like we find ourselves in here. People are being nurtured and growing in grace and experiencing God's grace, and most especially in the one who would um, be descended from Seth, the one we know as Jesus and the one who would become uh, the snake destroyer. The Bible makes it really clear that Jeffrey Archer's optimism about humanity is naive and incorrect. We don't have an innate capacity for good. Left to ourselves, in fact, we will just spiral into uh, catastrophe and disproportionate violence but Cain and Abel from the Bible are showing us something different, they're showing us that God's still in control that he is persisting in showing grace to the world and grace in the way he chose through his son Jesus so why don't we pray Father God Thank you so much that you are in control, that you show us grace in so many ways, grace that we don't even realize is from you. Thank you that despite a world which in so many ways is still in rebellion against you, in, 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 which in so many ways still has so many uh, manifestations of sin, you are preserving your people like you preserved the family of Seth, and through whom um, a community of believers was established, and through whom you brought your Son, Jesus, into the world. Father, as we continue to trust him, please help us to resist the sin that lurks at our door. And may we turn to you in repentance and faith, regardless of the cost to us. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.